All right, well, welcome everybody to Bethany West Seattle. How is everyone doing this morning? Good, okay. Hopefully uh, you guys will get more awake and energized uh, because today is a great day to be here. So uh, thank you for being here. If you're brand new to church, if you're brand new to faith and, and somehow you were dragged here, thank you for taking a chance on showing up. We know that church can be a scary place, but my hope and desire is that our community I can welcome you and love you uh, exactly right where you're at. And so, again, for those of you that are just checking out the church for the first time, thank you for taking the chance on us. I would love to meet you after the service. I'll be hanging around at the connect table. And it's a good chance if you have any questions about the church uh, to to go there uh, and get some answers there as well. So, uh, this morning we are going to continue on this series called The Way Forward. uh, And it's a study on, uh, on the book of Romans. And uh, so week after week, we go through a chapter or a few verses in Romans. Uh, And and this week, uh, we get to Romans chapter 13. Uh, And this is a chapter or a few verses that I have been dying to preach on. I've been so excited to preach on. Says no pastor ever about these verses. Because uh, these verses, I'm, now we'll, we'll get to them. Uh, normally we'll read it at the beginning and talk about it and unpack it. But I, I want to take a couple minutes to, to set it up. But these verses uh, oftentimes could be uh, a bit polarizing, especially in the church. And so this morning I just want to prepare you uh, that I may make you upset. I may make you happy. I may do everything all the above. Uh, but if you want to send me any angry email tomorrow morning, you're welcome to do that. My email's uh, chelsea at bethanychurch.com. Uh, so whatever you got to say, you're welcome to just send it to me at that email address. So uh, here's our direction this morning. We're going to talk about the context of these verses that we're about to read. Uh, and then we're going to talk about three important observations uh, that I hope sheds more light into, into these verses that we'll be talking about in Romans chapter 13. And then lastly, we'll end with, so what? So what does this have to do with my own life? And so, uh, again, before I continue, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for those that reached out to me last week with a bunch of emails and texts about how I'm doing, if I'm feeling all right. Last week, I, I, you know, I wasn't feeling too well. And I thought I kind of snuck one past you guys until all the emails, so I must have looked awful up here last week. Uh, And so thank you for the love and encouragement. Let's pray and let's get to work. God, thank you so much for the work you've been doing in and through our community. We thank you for your word that sheds light onto our life, that becomes final authority into how we should love and treat one another. God, in the midst of brokenness in our own individual lives and even in our community, even in this country. God, would you just give us peace and hope and healing wherever we may need it. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So last few weeks, uh, we've been thinking about this passage in Romans, and just a few days ago, I came across a really funny post Uh, on social media. And the post says this, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Now, now for some of us, this is funny. Some of us, we don't understand because it's a bit Christianese. uh, But it is a play off this verse uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, that says, I can do all this 
through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And so oftentimes people have taken this Bible verse and kind of flipped it around to, to mean something it's never been intended to mean. So a lot of people, a lot of athletes, a lot of performers will say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can, meaning I can score that game-winning touchdown. My team will win as if then God chose the other team to lose. Oh, I'm going to do awesome. I'm going to nail that performance. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I want to say, sorry, that's not what the verse means. The verse actually is talking about Paul being in prison, about to experience execution for the ways that he's defied Caesar and the Roman Empire. And he's saying, even in the midst of death, as I look death into the eyes, I know I'm going to be okay. And yet in many of us, this, this verse has been taken out of context uh, to justify whatever means of success they want to feel. But that's not the end of it, folks. There's more. Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. We read just this verse and not the other verses attached to it to mean, you know what, one day... God is going to make me rich. God is going to make me famous. God is going to give me the nicest car. God is going to give me the biggest house. And and I would say maybe, but this verse definitely is not a justification to to hope that and to believe that and to want that and to know that for yourself. In fact, it's about Israelites being in exile in in Babylon, experiencing, again, death being taken away into captivity, being removed of everything they had, and yet at the end of it, they will say, you know what, at the end of the day, even the world looks this broken and hopeless, God is with me. That's what the verse is actually about. And there's other verses uh, throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, we know it that uh, people have utilized to promote uh, slavery, sexism, segregation, genocide, colonization, all these things because we've interpreted the scriptures a little off, a little incorrectly. And, and many of these verses have been, have been ripped out of its proper context, as we've seen, only to be used as a tool to advance one's own agenda, to oppress, to marginalize, to manipulate. And this morning I want to take a look at this verse uh, that many have done uh, with this verse. And, and to be quite blunt, I would say these verses have been most weaponized, most manipulated, most argued about, especially in the last couple of years. And the verses go like this. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, let everyone... Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those uh, who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And I know many of us have heard this, many of have have heard other people use this to justify their own advancement. Uh, and so let's talk about this, because it's important, especially in this day and age, where there's so much division and polarization and arguments, even in our own communities, in our own families, and even in our own country. And, and I hate 
talking about politics and government and all these things. And, and this isn't necessarily per se about that because that's not my job. My job is to teach what the scripture has to say. And so let's begin with number one. Let's talk about context. Because in these verses, context is everything. And so for those of you that have been coming around Bethany for the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about this background uh, of when in which Romans was written. It was written sometime in the 40 AD uh, when the Jewish Christians in Rome were expelled. They were expelled from Rome uh, from causing a little bit of trouble because they were professing and proclaiming that Jesus was Lord, not the government. Not, uh, not um, uh, Caesar, and not the empire, but Jesus. And so the emperor at the time, uh, Emperor Claudius in 40 AD, expelled all the Jewish Christians uh, outside of Rome. You don't belong here. We don't want that. Get out of here. Now, 10, 12, 13 years later, uh, Claudius ends up dying. So this is around mid-50s AD. Claudius ends up dying. Uh, and this boy, a 16-year-old boy named Nero, takes throne. And, and when Nero takes throne, he allows the expelled uh, Jewish Christians to come back into Rome. And, and some of you may know a little bit of history of the Bible. Nero was not a nice person. As a matter of fact, he was one of the most evil men in history who killed Christians, who burned Christians at the stake. But as a 16-year-old boy, a new emperor, uh, he was actually being guided by his mother at the time. And, and so for the next five, six, seven years, he wasn't that evil person quite yet. He would be. Everything you've heard about Nero is true. But when the Jewish Christians finally came back around 50 AD after being expelled for over 10 years... They lived in peace, which was a kind of phenomenon for the Jews during this time where they, they never lived in peace. There was always war. There was always conflict. Uh, there was always colonization. There was always expulsion. There was, there was a, a, a history of oppression. And, and maybe we didn't know this, but lo and behold, the, the little bit of time that the, Jews at, the Jewish Christians actually experienced peace was under the reign of of Nero. And when, uh, when the Jewish Christians came back, everybody had, it was a little tense, okay? Yes, they were living in peace. There was no oppression of the Jewish Christians, but there was a little bit of tensity because the fear and the question by those that were already living in Rome were, what were these Jewish Christians going to do? This was even a fear of Paul. That the Jewish Christians returning from uh, a seemingly unfair expulsion, because remember, they were expelled from Rome purely for being Jewish. <clears throat> so the question was, after 10, 15 years, they're back. So what are they up to? What do they got up their sleeves? What are they going to do? So the fear of Paul, the writer of Romans, and, and many others, was were these Jewish Christians, were they going to rebel against the authority? Were they going to seek revenge? Were they going to cause revolt, an anarchy, a, a disorder? And Paul is, is saying to the people, don't do that. And you may even be tempted, if we talk about Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul knows this and sees this and says, 
I know you may want to rebel. I know you may want to, to cause anarchy or, or go against the establishment and cause trouble, but don't do it. We can all live together in peace. And, and not only that, my Jewish Christians, he would say, you'd be picking a fight that ultimately you, you couldn't win. You're picking a fight that ultimately you could not win. You would not stand a chance against the Roman Empire. <clears throat> and not only that, lastly, you would tarnish the name of Jesus. You claim to be followers, new followers of Jesus. And if you came in causing revolt and revenge and anarchy, you would just be tarnishing the name of Jesus. And so it's based on this context, based on this context, Paul's simple plea was for them to just play by the rules. See, good rules that are in place that are good for society. So remember, as I said earlier, there, this wasn't a radical statement because it wasn't like Paul was saying, I know that Nero is being so evil uh, and killing people and hurting people and oppressing people. And it's not that Paul is saying, you know what, let the person do that. It's okay, just play by the rules. Because that has not happened quite yet. Uh, for all they knew, everything and everybody was living in peace. And Paul was saying, under that context, will you just live in peace too? Will you not stir anything up because these laws that are in place are good for society? It, it protects people. There's harmony. And, and it's good for society. Will you just, Paul saying to the Jewish Christian, will you just let that be? Will you just let that be? And, and, and if we're talking about even modern day, even equivalence to that, it's basically maybe Paul saying to us as a church or me saying to you or you saying to me, hey, just don't be a jerk. Okay, don't, here's, here's what Paul's saying to his people. Here's what I would love for you to do and not do. Don't, don't be a jerk. Look, don't, don't steal from people. Don't assault anybody. Don't murder anybody. Just live in peace. I mean, this is what Paul is essentially saying. I know that many people want to read in this verse and, and, and use it as a tool to, to, to manipulate people. But all Paul is saying is that right now there's peace. And I know that you want to seek revenge. I know that you're really upset. But what Paul is saying, will you just live according to the laws of the land? Because these laws of the land are set up for goodness. And no one could deny that, even today. Like, do not kill, do not steal, do not rob, do not These are all good laws, right? I don't care what you believe as far as faith. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian or whatever you may believe. We can all agree that these laws are, are good. And, and essentially, that's what Paul is saying as well. These laws are good. <clears throat> this is the context. But within these contexts, there's some observations that we have to unpack. We have to go a little bit deeper. Uh, so we have to understand that, A, this wasn't uh, about Paul saying anything radical, like, oh, abide by this evil rule. As a matter of fact, that, that didn't exist at this moment in time. Paul was just saying, hey, just keep the peace. I know, I know you don't want to, but keep the peace. Give Jesus a good name. Don't riot, don't break the laws, don't hurt, don't kill people in the name of Jesus. You're just going to tarnish Jesus' name. So that's the context that we're working with. A couple observations that I want us to share is this. 
This does not mean it's about mindless allegiance to the government. Paul was not advocating for a mindless allegiance to the government. In fact, that would be blatant, blatantly contradiction, well, really to the work of Jesus himself uh, and to many other writings of Paul and even in the Old Testament. And it's this misunderstanding that throughout history, people have used these verses to justify against slavery. The work of Adolf Hitler in World War II, genocides, colonialism, segregation. People have used these verses uh, to justify all these evil things because they would say, hey, look, look what the verses 13 1 says. There's government. God put them there. So you need to obey everything that the government says because the government says so. No. Well, A, we know the context. Clearly, that's not what, you can't mix those two because two separate situations. Uh, We have to look at it contextually. And the first observation is, it does not mean a mindless allegiance to the government, to the kingdoms of this world. Because to believe that, and many people have, often justifies some evil, evil stuff. And it's clearly blatantly against what Jesus taught In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, I don't know up here, but just listen to the words. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news. This is what the angel is saying. I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior (coughs) who is the Messiah, the Lord. Luke, the writer, is even... This is a very subversive verse. It's saying that, you know what, right now, everyone is worshiping Caesar, and then Caesar wants to be known as the Messiah, the Lord. And in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is saying the angel said, no, that is wrong. Caesar is not the Lord. In fact, the Savior, who Caesar would claim to be, he's saying, no, that's Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord. In Mark chapter 2, it says, also one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, Jesus, grain fields, as they, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus says to them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And in need of food, they picked, they plucked food. So even Jesus, in the words of Jesus, in the life of Jesus, it couldn't mean, these, these verses in 1 and 2 couldn't mean a blind allegiance to everything the government or the establishment during this time to, to go along with. Because even Jesus didn't believe that. Even the writers of Jesus didn't believe that. As a matter of fact, they were totally antithetical to that, saying Jesus is actually Lord. And, and if Jesus is Lord, that means Caesar is not. You see, there's clearly a a, a pushback sometimes when it comes to the laws of the kingdom versus the laws of the land. And Jesus even breaks the law by picking food on the Sabbath because people were hungry. See, civil disobedience and going against the status quo of the establishment was actually the reason why Jesus was crucified. And we see in Paul, in Romans, again, I don't have this up here, but just hear these words. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
First Corinthians, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, you have to understand, especially in the New Testament, any time this word Lord appeared, it's this Greek word kurios, the one you follow. And, and that was the title that Caesar had for himself. I am the Lord is what Caesar would claim. I am kurios. I am the one you should follow. And anytime Paul is saying Jesus is actually Kyrios, the Lord wasn't his nickname. It was actually a title that people subscribed to him, which was a subversive way of saying who Caesar was not. Jesus is Lord. And again, if Jesus is Lord, that means Caesar the empire is not. I mean, we can even see verse in the Old Testament, and we've even given sermons about this, where Hebrew midwives defied the king's order in killing Hebrew infant boys. Pharaoh said, kill the, all the boys, the Hebrew infant boys. That was the law. That was what the, the rules given by Pharaoh, the king. And the midwives disobeyed. And because of their disobedience, Moses, we have Moses who wrote, wrote most of the Old Testament and became a father of our faith. The point of this is, and here's what I'm saying, laws are good. We've talked about it. Laws are good. They are set up to help, to protect, to bring harmony within societies, not just laws, but people that create laws. But the moment it stops doing its job by causing a compromise of the scriptures, we have a problem. We have a problem. And these problems that we voice and express, it's okay. And the reason why it's okay is the same reason why we celebrate people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and the like who went against the status quo, even went against the laws. Because the kingdom of God said something different. This is why, especially here at Bethany, all of Bethany Community Church, we love this man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer because he stood up against uh, the rules and regulation of this man named Adolf Hitler because he believed that the Christian way, that the kingdom of God was very antithetical to the message of Hitler. This is why we believe adamantly that we must stand against racism, sexism. We must fight for every life. We must go against classism, ableism, and really injustice of any sort. Because we believe that the ways of God and the kingdom of God sometimes will look different than the laws of this world, of our society. Because at the end of the day, for those of us that are followers of Christ, we must listen and heed Paul's advice. Obey the laws. These are good. These are things that are set up by people that, that creates harmony and safety and protection and, and, and the liveliness of you and those around you. It's good. But sometimes... It doesn't mean that it always lines up. And so therefore, our observation number one, it doesn't mean a blind allegiance to everything. When we look at the word, it says, uh, let every person be subject. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. We must look at that. Let's, let's, look, at that. let's look at that word subject. Thank you for asking me about it. 
Subject is the Greek word hupostaso, and it literally means to stand under. Hupo understaso, to stand, to stand under. And essentially what Paul is saying is stand under these authorities that create laws that are good and for the wellness of society and harmony. That's good. Stand under them. But Paul intentionally doesn't use obey because obey is a different word with a different meaning. And Paul uses obey anytime he talks about our allegiance to Jesus. Obey is the word hupokuo. Hupakuo means to listen under. Hupa, same word, under, but it's attached to a different word, to listen. The first is to stand under. It's okay for us to stand under and abide into these laws of the land. It's a good thing, and that's what Paul is saying. I know that you just come out of uh, expulsion, and I know that you want revenge, but will you just live in peace? Will you stand under the laws of this land? But in other places, he will say, and will you hupakuo, will you be under, listen under the kingdom of God? This is your true allegiance. This is who you follow. This is your curiosity. This is, this is who teaches you and guides you and gives you the trajectory. It's not necessarily just the laws of the land, but it's, land, it's the laws of the kingdom. So again, laws are good. It creates safety. It creates harmony. Be subject to them. For me, all of us, we should be subject to the laws of the land because these are good. It cultivates humanity. But again, the moment it begins doing the opposite is the moment it begins, and the moment it begins to contradict the nature of God. We have the biblical definition of injustice. So observation number one, in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, let, uh, for there is no authority except from God, doesn't mean a blind allegiance. Historically, it also doesn't mean just rage against the machine, the establishment, and cause trouble. And rebel. It doesn't mean that in the Christian life, we must be discerning and have wisdom to find a different way which many times I've said, to find a third way. Observation number two is this. Everything, everything is under God's rule. And this is good news. And verse one says, let everyone uh, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So authority doesn't even exist unless God has established it, is what Paul is saying. The authorities... Uh, that exists have been established by God. Paul is very emphatic about saying God is the reason why authorities even exist. But let me just clarify this just a little bit. Paul's point here is not saying that your leader, your pastor, your CEO, your president, whatever, your mayor, your governor, Paul's not saying Jesus hand-selected these people in these positions. No, because then we would have to be comfortable with saying God elected Hitler to be the leader in Germany and other evil leaders. That's not his point. The point is this. The point is saying that God's sovereignty, the way of the kingdom, is much more powerful in everything Everything, everything 
is under God's lordship, even the government, especially during this time, even the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, a.k.a. the government, is, is subordinate to God's kingdom. It's lesser. It's weaker than God's kingdom. It's so much weaker that it's because God is the creator of it, is the author of it. God is in control. Politics are important. Let me just say this. Okay, I'm not a politician. I don't know that much about politics, but I do know politics are important because policies, politics create policies that impacts people's lives. So we must have a voice in it. But politics alone, hear me, hear me loud and clear, politics alone will never have the last word. Politics alone will never have the last word. Because God is in control even of policies and policy makers and, and meetings and all. God is in control. That's what verse 1 and 2 are saying, that God is in control. That the governing body is subordinate to God's kingdom. And so regardless of who is president, who is governor, who is mayor, who is CEO of your company, who is pastor, who is manager, God is in control. So Paul is saying in the midst of that, God is in control, so calm down. And it doesn't mean stand still, doesn't mean do nothing, but it does mean, it does mean do not Fear. And fear has been such a common denominator in all of us. Just turn on the news, the TV shows. Everything is centered around driving fear into our lives. Fear becomes the tool to get you and me to us to adhere to certain policies, to buy something, to vote for somebody. And Paul's encouragement to the people who just came back from expulsion, who could seek revenge, who is ridden with anxiety, where society is so tense because of who's in control and who's not in control. Paul's saying, don't worry. At the end of the day, God is in control. So do not fear. I love in Colossians, Paul also wrote this. He says this, the son is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Again, this is, this is sub, uh, a subversive text towards the Roman Empire. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And so I know a lot of us were driven by fear. We're fear of the future. We're fear of what might happen. We're fear of who's in control. And because of this fear, we're oftentimes forced to pick a side, right? Whether, you know, to make it more relevant to us, you have to pick Republican. You have to pick Democrat. You have to pick Libertarian. You have to pick some political affiliation. And what God is saying, no, you don't have to be divided like that because God is in control. You can pick whoever you want, but at the end of the day, it's these political parties and these people and these leaders, they're not your savior, 
They will never be your savior. They will never lead to true transformation, true healing, true joy. It's God because God is in control and God is in control of all these systems at play. Now, there's a fear even in myself as I was writing this. I can understand how this can sound, for lack of a better word, very privileged. It's a very, it's a very privileged thing to say because I understand and I know and I've witnessed that some have actual real-life consequences. Life changes because of their government and the laws, policies. But the tension is there's also a hope in knowing that God is in control. By saying that God created government, that he is not highlighting the power and the superiority of government. In fact, the opposite. He's highlighting its inferiority and the subordination compared to God. So Paul is not highlighting the power of authority because God, you know, God says for them to be there, so you must listen. No, God is, what Paul is actually saying is expressing the inferiority of the government. That's not a knock on government. That's not a, it's saying that at the end of the day, God's kingdom is what reigns and is what is in control. And so Paul's message in the land of so much division, a division that many of us can also resonate with, in the midst of that, he's saying, do not fear. Don't get too caught up. Yes, play your part. Yes, listen. Yes, speak. Yes, stand up for the voiceless. Yes, stand up what you believe is right. Yes, stand up against injustice. But at the end of the day, God is in control. So do not fear. And it's a message for us even today. And lastly, last observation. In the midst of all what Paul is saying, love is the point. Because many of us, when we read Romans chapter 13, we just think that it's just by itself. But we have to read it in conjunction of the entire text, especially the chapter right before. In Romans chapter 12, I didn't put this up here, but listen to these words. It's it's a few verses, but essentially this is Paul's point. This is essentially point number three. Paul says this, be joyful in hope, patient in in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Remember the context? They just got out of an unfair expulsion. They were oppressed and marginalized. Now they are coming back. Now they get to return. And Paul says, be joyful in hope. Patient in, in affliction. Prayer, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. They're coming back to hostile territory. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. This is a chapter right before. That's why in chapter 13, Paul is saying, just obey the laws of the land. Obey the, don't, don't cause anarchy. Don't cause rebellion. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil 
for evil. Remember the context. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He says it again. Live at peace with everyone. (laughs) Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. And then it says, in doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. That's a good thing. Uh, do not overcome uh, by evil, uh, but overcome evil with good. Everything Paul is saying the, that undergirds all of this is love. Uh, you're coming back to a place where you'd want to seek revenge, but don't worry. Observation number two, God is in control. Modern day equivalents, you may want to come and you might want to raise anarchy and, and talk about who you hate and who you love. I hear this all the time. I, you know, I'll be honest with you, and sometimes this rhetoric comes out of my own mouth. I hate this person. I hate that person. I love this person. I love that person. I'm going to vote for this person. This person has ruined our country. This person has done great things for our country. They, you know, and I don't like this person because they voted blue. I hate this person because they voted red and, and everything in between. And, and what Paul is saying, in the midst of all of that, God is in control. So your job is to love one another. You may love one another, even people that you disagree with, even in a system that you don't agree with, even with leaders you don't agree with. And believe me, some of you guys are cringing at this, and I am too, because I just want to speak my voice, and I want to prove my point, and I want to prove everybody wrong, and I want to be against those that, are, uh, that aren't for me, because right now we live in a world where it's so polarized that either you're my best friend or you're my worst enemy. That is just the kind of society and culture we live in, and Paul is offering a different way. Obviously, Paul is not saying bend over backwards, stay silent, never stand up for injustice. Paul is saying there is a way you can do that and love one another. Because our allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone. And the moment, listen to me carefully, the moment that we, that we forget that our allegiance is only to Christ is when division starts seeping in because we feel like we have to protect this political party and we have to be against this political party. And the moment that we, we, we forget that it's Jesus plus nothing else is when we allow different policies and different regulations and different laws and all these things take a hold of us and force us to hate those that are against us. And so we have to remember That is Jesus plus nothing because Jesus is in control. The way of the kingdom, the way of God's kingdom, it it looks different than the world. When the world says pick a side, pick an affiliation, pick a political party, pick a leader, Jesus says no. Your allegiance is to me. And that alone will cast out all fears. Now hear me. 
I'm not telling you to abandon your political affiliation, your title at work, your ethnicity or your nationality. I'm a proud Korean American. Uh, I'm a, you know, there's a lot of things I'm proud of being. But as followers of Jesus, your loyalty belongs to Christ. And therefore, if it belongs to Christ, no matter your secondary, thirdly, fourthly affiliation, it doesn't matter. We can be bonded together through the cross of Jesus. I hope you're hearing me on this. And to the question of this morning, for all of us, and in the way forward is this, what now? And so the question is this, for all of us, who will you choose to be? In the mess of division and even in the temptation to pick a side, Jesus says, love one another. The left is shouting this, the right is shouting that, and then in the middle is shouting this, and yet Jesus says to love one another. Will you choose to believe that at the end of the day we can pick whoever we want, a group, a law, a policy, a government, whatever it is, but will you choose to believe that Jesus is curious? Jesus is Lord, and it's Jesus who we listen under. Yes, <clears throat> God uses leaders. Yes, God uses laws. Yes, God uses, policy, uses policies. And Paul is saying, abide by them, for they are created to create harmony and protection and safety. But the moment because it doesn't mean blind allegiance, but the moment that it starts to go against and become antithetical to the words of Christ, to the scriptures, have a voice. But even in that voice, we are able to be undergirded by love even to the people that may think different than us. Will you choose to be that person? Will you choose to believe that you were created in the beautiful, infinite image of Christ? And not just you, but those around you too. And the moment that we see that, the moment that we see that first, things begin to change. No longer are these barriers between their affiliation and their selection of leaders. No longer is that primary but as long as we get to choose to love and see people through the eyes of God, relationships can be protected, even in the midst of this polarizing society. I'm going to invite the band back up for us to get a chance to reflect and to respond. Are there people in your lives that you have just completely shut out? Maybe it's a particular person that you can think of. Maybe it's an entire people group that you've just shut out. Maybe you're just filled with anger. Will you know that Jesus is in control? Will you just let, will you just surrender? And some of us were gripping so tight and the words of Paul is saying, you know what, God is in control. So fear not of our future, of our children, of our present. 
and yet still <coughs> there's a, still know that there's a tension that as we stand up for injustice and have a voice we can do it in love in love will you love others it's easy the Bible even says it's easy to love those that think like you but it's easy Jesus says even the hypocrites do that but Jesus says I've come to give you life and for you to love it says to even love your enemies, to love your enemies. Don't sing vengeance, but to love your enemies. I, I can't, I do not want to read that. But that's what it says. May we be a people that choose today to believe that God's kingdom is in control and no other kingdom. And may that set us free of division, of hate, of hateful rhetoric of polarizing one person to the other. May we fear not. God, thank you so much that you teach us to love even the hardest people in our lives to love. Give us the strength to do that. Give us the desire to do that. And may we not be driven by fear, so much fear that we attach ourselves to these different groups but may we just attach ourselves solely and primarily to you and you alone. <laughs> and that sets us free. Soften our hearts towards that. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship.